Yeah, where's it coming from? Let's find out. Welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and with me are Kendra Mauer and Morgana. And tonight we're welcoming Tim Renner back to the podcast. He is the author of Where the Footprints End, Volumes One and Two. Volume Two just came out. He's also written a great many other books, and he has a book of his wonderful pen and ink art. Thank you for joining us, Tim. Thank you for having me. Well, it's it's really good to have you back. Um, we uh, we've all read your book. Uh, we got it for Christmas. Yep, and I didn't get Kendra three copies. I was very good. I only got her one, and um, I kept track of it and I finished it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're doing really well. Uh, usually, we we have weird things happen with books, but but we've done it. And uh, so you said that you were done with Bigfoot, but Bigfoot's not really done with you. Yes. What is he following you around now? <laughs> do, you have a, do you have a hairy stalker? I mean, not to my knowledge, but um, that was in reference to some comments I made on podcasts uh, that after this book, I was going to be done for a long time with Bigfoot. And I realized as I was writing, you know, the final chapters for this book, like, oh, I have more to say. So it's, uh, it's not my last Bigfoot book for sure. Good. One of the, one of the things that struck me reading it, first off, you start off with my favorite topic, the lights and the eye shine and the eye glow. And uh, Morgana was, we're, we're doing a, a series of episodes about Athens County and the surrounding area because lots of weird stuff happens here. So we're going to do a, a deep dig and talk about different things that happen here. Morgana was looking up Bigfoot in Athens and tell Tim what you found so far. Okay. So I have done a very cursory look at this. Um, and the first place you go when you want to look up random Bigfoot things online that aren't news articles is you just look up the BFRO. Mm -hmm. Bless them. <laughs> Bless their flesh and blood hypothesis, but very good at keeping records, little hearts. I love them. They're a great resource for yes, reports. As long as the sighting didn't involve weird lights. As long as it doesn't involve weird lights or Bigfoot coming out of a UFO. Yeah. They're they, awesome. They got it. Yeah. Um, and there are a quite a few good ones around Nelsonville. Interestingly, UFOs seem to cluster around Athens and the Plains and Nelsonville, the next town over, gets Bigfoot. Hmm. 
Um, I'm not sure why that is. Well, obviously they're dropping in, dropping them all. Right. The and then <laughs> they're, they're hiking over to, to there. Three of, I believe the seven reports I spotted had reference to two were specifically talking about glowing or shining eyes. And one specifically referenced eye shines. We had three sets of red glowing eyes in one, and we had one that was blue shining eyes. Wow. That's rare. And then there was just one other one that was on actually very close to the technical college's campus that referenced just straight up eye shine. Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting. And I'm still trying to figure out why there's Bigfoot in Nelsonville, but not here. There probably is. I'm sure there is. They just haven't told us and I have, or they haven't told anybody and I haven't dug it up. Yeah. I I mean, as long as there's, woods but often you don't even need woods i mean i i got an encounter that'll be on strange familiars coming up that's in a neighborhood that is really impressive and uh really weird so you know you don't necessarily need woods and and i would think that should we and and i mean god forbid this ever happened i i this is not something i'm calling for but but should we ever you know uh clear cut all the forests that uh, people would still see these things. Um, that's my hypothesis. I, I certainly don't know, but I think it's it's much more common and easier to see them amongst the trees. I think it's because Nelsonville's closer to Wayne National. That's probably. Um, we do have forest around us here in in Athens and through the town. We have woods that go all through it. Um, but I think Nelsonville is just. I mean, it's it's just a few minutes outside of Wayne National. That's true. Well, I have, I have a prediction here. I, I'm, I'm predicting that now that you're sort of tuned into it and, and looking for it, you're going to get at least one and probably more than one sighting uh, sent your way very soon. Probably. Yeah. Odd, odd things have already started happening in the house. So <laughs> that's going to be fun. <laughs> but yeah. that happens to me anyway. It's just dialed up slightly in the past couple of weeks such that other people are noticing now. Yep. So yay. If you, if you look at it, it looks at you. Mm-hmm. And <sighs> yeah, the, the blue eye shine that you found though, that's, that's rare. I mean, it happens. There's reports of it, you know, and, yeah. and that's what, yeah, I put it on the cover of the book because it, it's just a, a neat idea of the blue eye shine, but it's, I think it's one of the rarer colors. Yeah. I mean, you get every color of the rainbow, but, but that's one of the rare I, ones to hear about. Yeah. I was very excited when I saw that. I, I underlined that in red ink when I was writing, taking little notes on it for our upcoming episodes. I was very, very excited. And I'm still, I read um, John Keel and Jerome Clark's Guide to Mysterious Beings when I was 15. Yes. And that was when I first started um, trying to make a distinction between like skunk apes and Bigfoot. And the ones with glowing eyes were clearly paraphysical. Mm-hmm. And everything else was probably physical. And, you know, now I'm not 15. And I realize that that's, it's a lot more squishy <laughs> than that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think that's, you know, it's the logical place to start. And it's, uh, I mean, at least until very recently for me, that was like a really interesting idea that there could be this creature out there that we could capture. Now it's, it's far more interesting to me that it's, it's something else. It's something, you know, whatever, whatever it is, it's something other. 
Um, that's to me, that's a far more interesting concept than than the idea of an undiscovered primate or or relic hominid or something. But I I do think it's a it's where most people start with the idea that that at least I mean if you were starting at the place where some of them were supernatural and some of them weren't, you were probably ahead of me, you know, as far as uh, thinking because I started at the place where it was just some kind of undiscovered creature, you know, all of them, no matter what, and then you know wrestled with that idea for for some time before uh, sort of having my world. Uh, kind of rocked and changing my opinion to completely op- the opposite direction. I started young. Mom was like, here, read John Keel when you're 12. And that just like, that begins the mind blowing early. <laughs> it's a good it's, place to start for sure. It, you know, I tried with, with your brother though, and, and he's, he's refused so far. So. He has sense in his head. He's, well, but he I saw him picking up his copy of Mothman and, and looking at it. So uh, he might at 14 have mind blown and be terrified of the night for a while. So, you know, I'm being a good mom. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I I got I got uh, Edgar Allan Poe in fourth grade. So, you know, you it's know. a family tradition, it's a family tradition. What kind of, uh, I mean, I know you didn't put all of your possible, you know, all of your reports that you've gathered in that book, in those, mm-hmm. well, okay, I think of it as one book. It's just one really big book that came out. In yeah, Trump's. yeah, that, that's, in it's, my mind, that's the proper way to, to approach yeah. it. it. It just came out in two pieces, but it's it's one thing. I just, I feel like you're just scratching the surface of, the weirdness that people have experienced and reported, although I'm sure there's people who won't report some of what they've experienced because it's just too strange. Yeah. I I had to kind of step back and a write this in third person, which is, which is Josh's style. That was one of the, uh, the things he insisted on when, when he agreed to do the book with me and that, in doing so, I kind of remove myself from it a lot. Now, there's a, a few things in there where I'll, I'll talk about things that I experienced or or witnesses I talked to because they're very pertinent to the conversations at hand. But I left a lot of stuff out that I really could have put in there that I didn't, that were personal experiences because I thought, well, in the sense of this book, it's more like my first book where I'm I'm sort of acting as a reporter. I'm sort of right. documenting these these other things. And if I put too much of myself in it, people are going to start to get like, well, that's, you know, this guy's a weirdo. And, you know, so I thought, well, especially c- considering when the topics we covered. So well, I'm going to take myself out of it wherever I can and then and just report on on these other things here and there. You'll, you'll you know, as, as I'm sure you read, I did drop in like, you know, this person I talked to or that case I researched. But uh, for the most part, I kept myself out of it. I'm you know, who knows if those other things I wrote about and don't look behind you or are Bigfoot or not, but, you know, assuming they're somehow related, they're somehow related to this, this, um, uh, you know, spirit of place or, or whatever you want to call it, this forest spirit, then, uh, you know, maybe that could be another book someday. I'm not sure. We'll see. But I, I did try to sort of remove myself, uh, for a great, a great deal from from these uh, stories. I imagine sometimes that's difficult because you want to convey what what lit your fire on a situation on a topic like this. 
Yeah. Yeah. And certainly with something like the, the women in white, you know, that was, you know, something I, in volume one, that's something that's like, you know, a rabbit hole that I just stumbled into and, and, uh, and dove deep into it. And there's a whole, you know, I'm, I went over it before. There's a whole story of, of how I came upon that. Um, but things like, you know, there were things I don't know where to put, like where I find these skulls on multiple investigations, like almost, you know, I, I say 75%. I think it don't look behind you. It's probably more like 80 or 90%. Honestly, I haven't done the math, you know, where <laughs> I listed them all out, but it's an insane number. And I don't know where that goes. You know, it could have gone in there somewhere. But, uh, you know, I didn't really know where to put it. So I just just left it out. You know, it's, it's for another book. Yeah. You should do one on synchronicities. That's a you, there's been a couple books written. I have one uh, that's, that's fantastic. That was written in the 80s, I think, that I got at like a library sale. And it's been out of print since. And it's, it's really, really well done. Uh, I don't know what what new I could bring to the table because there's you know what do you say when you're you're walking in young footsteps? But uh, that's true. But uh, if, if I if at any point I feel like I have something to bring bring to that table, I certainly would, would take that on. I think there's value in adding to the chorus, though, being another voice, another experiencer, another person involved in the, that kind of experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think if it was, if it was about personal experiences and so forth, uh, and, and that's really hard, it's really hard to parse like where to put those, you know, I put a bunch and don't look behind you. And you know, there's been some stuff that's happened since and, and I feel like it's all related and I don't know whether to go back and reiterate those experiences I talked about before because they're connected to new things. It's, it's really difficult to where to put this stuff. Um, my next couple books are, you know, again, it's, it's more reporting. There's a book on some some folklore I'm writing, and then uh, I'm doing the Flannel Man book with, uh, I think, with my wife. We're doing that together. Uh, so, you know, those are again, I've not seen Flannel Man. She has, I've not, and uh, the the folklore thing is is sort of, you know, it's a folklore thing. So it's 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 out of my, uh, you know, it's, it's none of my experiences really apply to that. So at some point I'll have to get back to it. And I, I just don't know where to put that. Like I said, I don't know whether to, to reference people back to the previous book, you know, say, Hey, go read, don't look behind you and then come here because this stuff relates for then, or just reiterate all those experiences. Again, it's, it's really hard because it's, as I've said on podcast after podcast, it's a spider web. And if you pull, you pull in one thing, you're, you're pulling, you know, 10 other strands and uh, it's, it's really, really hard to relate to people. Like, no, no, that happened six months ago, but, you know, I pulled this strand and then I'm talking with my hands here. We're on camera. (laughs) (laughs) So you you pull one string and it pulls all these others. It's hard to, it's hard to tell that in story form, you know, especially when you've told some of these stories before and, and they end up being incomplete because other things happen. It's, it's really, really difficult to relate this stuff. It is. I, it really is. I, it it's it's especially if you try to do it linearly. Yes. Um, I I was asked to contribute a, an essay or an, a personal experience for a book about experiencers, and I ended up I I started writing and I stopped at like sixty pages, 
and was like, I can't keep, I, I don't know where to start and stop. Mm-hmm. There is no single simple expli- explicatory instance. Right. And so I was like, I, I don't, I, I guess I'll just write it as a book because it's just, there's so many things. It started basically before I could write. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's very weird. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the real talent of people like Keel who, uh, who did put himself into the investigations. He wasn't, he wasn't a scientist, you know, he was, he was uh, in my opinion, more of a folklorist. And he was like, okay, these people experience this, this, and this. I'm going to put myself in the middle of that and see what happens. You know, <laughs> not so many words, but that's essentially what he did. Yeah. He, oh, he yeah. became the story for, for Mothman prophecies. Uh, certainly. And some of the other things he looked into. Absolutely. But um, his genius is able, his ability to make a story out of that. A narrative. You know, out of yeah. all those disparate pieces, you know, and, and that's, you know what I really look up to him and 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 why I think he's one of my favorites because because of those two things his ability to make the story and also his ability to, to or his refusal to separate himself from it because I think if you're honest and you're into this stuff you're going to become part of the story yes yes I a couple of my friends were like are you sure you want to do a podcast are you sure because if you start looking at it too carefully too closely you start talking with other people, it's going to become more frequent. And I was like, you know, at this point, I it's frequent enough. It doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it hasn't killed me yet. So I'm probably okay. Yeah. I mean, I've had some super scary things happen and never gotten injured. Yeah. You know, I've never gotten hurt. It's been frightening. But I've never gotten hurt. Now, you know, I've talked to people who say they have, and I, I believe them. You know, I, I absolutely believe them. But it's by far the, the the rarity. You know, it's not not what usually happens. So I, I kind of lean on that a little bit when when things do get freaky or scary. It's like, well, you know, I haven't been hurt, so we'll we'll see how this plays out. And I do wonder about that because that's sort of something that to an extent I comfort myself with is strange things all the time. (laughs) Um, but I, I would, when I still smoked cigarettes, I would get spooked randomly on the back deck and run inside. And my boyfriend would be like, quit being scared of Bigfoot. (laughs) (laughs) And I would think, you know, what if it was Bigfoot? And I was like, one Bigfoot wouldn't do anything. So in the vast majority of cases, even if you're right, if they're, like right outside your window, they just stare at you. Mm-hmm. And I still have not figured out why. Because to me, that is a giant thing that could very obviously just go through that window. There's a case in your sure. book where somebody, it was outside an open window with only the screen. Mm-hmm. And they never, well, not never, because there are also cases where they've reached into cars. Right. Um, jumped onto roofs but that again is not it's it's like beating around outside your house but it never comes in and i don't know why they don't you know i've talked about this several times there the tent i mean you talk about a flimsy piece of nylon 
between you and a giant creature. Now, there are a couple instances where people talk about, I, I believe there's one where someone said it picked them up in the tent and carried them off. I, um, I, yeah, I heard that somewhere. Yeah. So, so there's, you know, there's, there's always exceptions to the rule, but the vast majority of these cases have these, these giant, you know, predators by, by all reports, uh, curious, but respecting the boundary of, of this little thin piece of nylon. It's, you know, one is reminded of the vampire stories, you know, yeah. where they, they, they can't cross the threshold. And these certainly, you know, I used to work construction, most new houses, you can get into with a with a a um, a utility knife. It's vinyl siding, uh, insulation, and drywall. And that's all that's between you and outside. And if you have a utility knife, you can cut a hole and walk and get into anybody's house. With most of these new houses, certainly a creature like that could walk through the wall. But you know, it's like something that big and strong. Rip out the window, whatever. It, you know, if it wanted to do anything. You know, it, it could certainly get into people's houses and, and they just don't. And uh, the walking on the roofs thing is or running or, or climbing up on people's roofs, all these different reports. It's super interesting to me because and I've I've gone on. I don't know how many reports of that where locally where people have you know, seen Bigfoot or had Bigfoot around their house. And they, then they told me it climbed up on their on their roof and there's no roof damage. I mean, if we're talking about a, you know, 900 pound plus creature climbing onto your roof there should be especially some of these trailers and things where people report i mean yeah there, you know, there should be dents or yeah 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 and uh there's there's just no damage they'll hear them up there and then there's no damage it's, it's very very strange so um yeah there's something odd about the creature but it does seem to sort of respect these these boundaries most times now the the two reports i've taken personally of attacks have been when people touch the creature so it's almost like did you break the rule then? yeah you know I'm, i was wondering about that because as you were saying how you've never experienced an issue it's is it because you never poked the bear you always respect that the bear is there and you stand back and you give the bear distance in this case bigfoot you give it its distance but some people just need to poke it well both of these were accidents these reports these got they were both at night and they were both running very similar stories one was in in york county here where i am and one was in northern maryland and they were they were running and didn't see this creature and they ran into it and, and oh. uh, the both instances the the one guy was uh beaten severely and sent to the hospital the other guy it broke his arm and threw him Whoa. to the ground just snapped his arm and threw him down so uh you know my advice to people it's so funny because people are like well you don't think they're animal yeah i don't think they're animals but don't touch them <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. you have the opportunity yeah. don't don't do it because it, it doesn't seem to turn out well and again there are exceptions there are people who said they they've touched them and it's been fine you know there's nothing has happened but uh you know i i err on the side of caution yeah yeah i mean when i heard the the one outside of our house uh I was just thinking about it. The entire back half of that house is mostly giant windows and glass doors. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's like looks out onto the woodlands. Oh, it's gorgeous. Except when there's something out there howling and running around in the woods, shaking trees and all of this racket making. And 
then it's not so wonderful because I realized as I took the dogs into the house and, and huddled in the house with my husband and both of us sitting there going, what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. I realized, you know, if it took it in its mind, any large animal could come through those sure. glass yeah. windows. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're not sheet glass. They had, you know, panes. They had mm-hmm. wood and it was hardwood. But still, if it's that big, it, it's going to be strong enough to tear into that wood so easily. Mm-hmm. And and I was just like, oh, God. And then it, then it dawned on me. I was like, well, maybe you have to invite it in. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and maybe that that invite isn't always a, Hey, come on in. You know, maybe it's something else. I don't know. Um, The rules are, are the rules. (laughs) And I think some of these, these old folklore rules apply. Uh, I think it's a good idea to, to learn them and to abide by them because I think generally they apply, but uh, you know, there's, there's seems to be always exceptions. Every time I, I feel like I, I figured out the rules, you know, hear an account on the Sasquatch Chronicles or somewhere else where it's like, oh, well, there goes that out the window. Yeah. <laughs> Keel had that problem, too. He said, you know, anytime he formulated a theory, the phenomena would either uh, send uh, experiences and experiencers that upheld the theory or that would disprove it. Yeah. Or yeah, I mean- both. Actually, he said it was usually both. And, and Bigfoot is this wonderful example of this where so many reports seem like an undiscovered primate. They act like primates. They, they, they look like primates. They do things that monkeys do. They, they, they um, have pursed lips and their hair stands on end when they're agitated. And they, they rock back and forth, you know, when, when they're, they're agitated. And uh, all of these things, like complete primate behavior. And when people talk about this, it's like the footprints. When people look at the footprints and they see these mid tarsal breaks and these, you know, these people like uh, Dr. Meldrum look at them who are specialists in primate anatomy. And they're like, Oh yeah, this is definitely a real thing because you have to be an expert along the lines of him to fake these things. And, you know, that's, I think that's what finally convinced him that, that these creatures are real because he's looking at these footprints that show these amazing details that are, um, you know, like I said, you have to be an expert like him to fake them. But then things, other things happen. They, then their eyes glow and then they, they disappear. And then they, they, you know, people say they zap them, which, you know, the flesh and blood folks say is inner in, infrasound. But we, I, I think that's just a convenient excuse uh, to try to write off this weird stuff that happens. Um, or they so, have three toad tracks, that yeah, like exactly. bird tracks. You sure. Know. Yeah. Yeah. For every f- great five toed track with dermal ridges and that mid tarsal break, you'll get these weird three toed tracks that look like something out of a 1950s monster movie or something. Yeah. And that, that's the other problem with the tracks. Or you'll get obvious fakes mixed with real ones. Mm-hmm. Or, or all left feet. Yeah. All right feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the other foot was in another dimension, you know, mm-hmm. only yeah. half of the body was in the physical realm and the other half was. Yeah. Interesting. Like there was a theory way back in the middle ages, like in the age of marginalia, um, there was supposedly a race of single footed beings that lived somewhere. 
Um, the fringes of the known world, the, oh, yeah. the antipodes, I think. Yeah. And, and, and there were the Fomorians in, in Irish mythology. Yeah. Said one leg, one arm, one eye. The Fyrdarig. So, the Fyrdarig in, in fairy lore has one leg um, and one foot. Mm-hmm. But I, I do remember that. I don't remember where I read that. I read it somewhere recently, but I'm also I read like ten books at once. So Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, there's there's definitely instances of of that and you wonder if that's not a, a sort of folklore folkloric way to explain, you know, somebody found weird tracks. Yeah, one yeah. one footed tracks. And I said, what what made that? And then they they come up with this this idea of these these things. Yeah. I I I love the idea that it shapes itself in ways that you both expect and don't expect. And mm-hmm. you and you get, you know, this this rich tapestry of strangeness that just and that's what i like about uh where the footprints end there is just such a tapestry of strange details that you can just pick and choose and go oh wow i didn't know about that and then you can look up more information on it and and you know find stranger and stranger and stranger things that yeah if if you put those two books together they're i don't know uh how many pages they are and they're beautifully cited. Um, yes, we love your indices. I don't know how many. This like what? However many pages. They're two thick books, basically two very very mm-hmm. thick books. Um, we couldn't do it as one book because we were afraid of frightening people. Basically, that's what we were. <laughs> we, if, if I can we tell you, people would have been book. overwhelmed by that. Yeah, yeah. But I, I know I, I kind of, when somebody sends me a book I have to read for the podcast and it's a thick book, I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> ah. so, yeah, I, I totally get that. So so um, that's why we broke it up. But that's, you know, the one thing I, I heard really up until the point where we started this this project from the Flesh and Blood people is, oh, this weird stuff, it rarely ever happens. It's not even worth talking about because it just barely happens. It's not that much of it out there. It rarely happens. And then what a line of BS. I mean, two thick books we have, and, and we were not exhaustive by any means. If we wanted to be exhaustive, it'd be 10 plus books. You know, We just it took a few cases to illustrate each point. And uh, it's, they, to me, it's like you're being dishonest. If you say this weird stuff just doesn't happen with Bigfoot, you're, you're being intellectually dishonest. It's there. Here's two thick books and they're not my accounts. You know, that's what, again, that's one of the reasons I decided not to use reports that I collected. I used other people's reports wherever possible and uh, did not have a hard time finding anything to illustrate any point in the book. Well, even, even people like uh, Ron Moorhead, you know, he has weird lights in his accounts Mm-hmm. From the 1970s before, you know, I mean, Bigfoot was a thing then, you know, the, oh, yeah. the Patterson-Gimlin film was a thing. But the the strangeness, the high strangeness reported with it wasn't because people were kind of editing themselves so they didn't sound mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, even yeah. Ron did that a little bit. I, I yeah, mean, he did for a while. Yeah. Uh, and And... At least I feel like he did. I mean, maybe, maybe I feel like when I first heard Ron on the radio and on podcasts and stuff, he was really kind of editing some of the weirder stuff out of his stories. Um, the book that um, uh, Al Berry wrote with Ann Slate, it's just called Bigfoot, published in 1974. If you can find a copy, get it. 
it's I, I call it the the grandfather of where the footprints end. He did not shy away from any of the weirdness. Uh, well, they didn't. Anne Slade or or Al Berry didn't uh, when they wrote it. As regards Bigfoot, and it's a wonderful book. But he was one of the people that was with Moorhead up in the Sierra Camp, and he again in 1974, I think this book was published. Uh, he's documenting this weird stuff then, you know, weird lights and weird sounds. And, and, oh my gosh, we just, we might've used that book for almost every chapter as a reference for one thing or another. It's, it's that, uh, amazing, like with the, with the way they documented things. Well, I think there's a certain, as an experiencer myself, not with Bigfoot, but Mm -hmm. it's unfair to not to other experiencers to not include everything because then mm-hmm. you're leaving other people wondering, did I really see that? Or I don't want to talk about it because no one else has experienced this. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, you want to put all the information out there. So other people feel that I'm big into community building and mm-hmm. that's where I get mine from my energy from is let's build a community out of this and make people feel comfortable about sharing their, even the farthest out there details of the weird stuff that happens. Yeah. That's the intellectually honest way to approach it. And the problem with, with Bigfoot is you have a group of people who have for, you know, 50 plus years been trying to prove that there's a giant monkey in the woods. And when you come, you know, when you associate giant monkey with weird lights and giant monkey that people only saw the top half of walking across the street or giant monkey carrying a glowing orb, that's not mainstream science doesn't want any part of that. They, you know, they're like, no, 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 no. So in this effort to convince mainstream science, and it's so funny, they're so disdainful of mainstream science in so many ways. And they say like, well, they won't accept, you know, Melba Ketchum's report on the DNA, for instance, or, you know, whatever it is, they won't accept Jeff Meldrum's work with the footprints and, and et cetera, et cetera. They're desperate to get the approval of mainstream science, absolutely desperate. And um, my point is, F them, you know, mainstream yeah. science. They're not ready for this and they're not going to accept it anytime soon. Um, most people still make fun of this stuff. They think it's not serious and they don't think you're a serious person if you're interested in it. I don't have time for that. Uh, to me, it's a very important part of the human experience. Um, and I, I'm, I have no interest in trying to prove this to anyone, but especially to mainstream science, they can go pound sand. People are seeing it and I believe my witnesses. Yeah. You can tell when people are telling the truth. Sure. Um, if, if they're frightened and usually if, if they saw something that, that disturbed them or frightened them in any way, it stays with them. Mm-hmm. And you can tell in their voice that I, I like listening to your podcast because I've noticed something about the witnesses. They'll laugh as they talk because they're nervous mm-hmm. because they, that's one of the ways traumatized people deal with the trauma. When you, when you bring it back up, you laugh about it nervously mm-hmm. and it's so genuine. It's so real. Um, and it's, it's across the board. I, I've started listening for it on, on a bunch of other podcasts and UFO witnesses do it. Um, Mothman witnesses do it unless they were absolutely terrified, in which case then it's the hushed voice and the, right, the, right. the very, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can hear the shake in their voice. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
so I, I don't, and that's the, the nervous laughter and the change in voice and all of the change in um, vocal timbre. These are all recognized by psychologists. Mm-hmm. So why is that? I, I, I kind of feel like, well, that's, that's proof that they at least believe what they saw. They are exactly. not making something up. Even if it was a delusion or an illusion or something in their psyche that caused it. Although if there were three people standing there with them and they all saw it, then right. I'm going to have a few problems with that, but whatever. Then why wouldn't anybody listen to that? It seems that's part of why I've started telling my story and part of why I talked Kendra and Morgana into it too, so that other people would feel like there are people who will listen. So I'm, I'm generally ready to believe i don't think people have a reason to lie about this stuff um the 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 things that people often state that people will lie for are a to make money there's no money how are they making money no one's making money uh and you pay so much, you pay so much for people <laughs> to come on your podcast <laughs> yeah, you know, right? it's, it's like and, yeah <laughs> and uh the other reason they state is to get attention and it's like, you don't want this kind of attention. That's why. I, why do you want people pointing and laughing? 25% of my guests, at least, uh, request that I keep them, you know, change their name and change their location when they come on. Uh, so they don't want, it's not, they're not looking for attention. They're just looking to tell their story because for the most part, they can't believe other people have experienced similar things and, and they don't feel crazy because they've heard people do this. But uh, thinking about people, you know, faking or making up stories and so forth. I had a guy contact me who works for a, um, he took training. He was a uh, blackjack dealer. And they said, as part of the training at the, at the casino he worked at, they taught him how to try to pick up when people were lying and mostly listening to people's voices. And he said, there's certain tells. And he said, I've listened to your podcast. And he said, out of everybody, Every guest you've had, and you know, hundreds of episodes, he said, "There's, there's been two. I think are lying. Do you want to know who they are?" And I said, "No, I don't. Like, I don't, I don't want, you know." But he said, "Everybody else has been telling the truth." And if that's the case, if if he's correct, and it's two out of, you know, at at, at the point he contacted me, we were we were over a hundred, so, you know, two percent or less. Uh, that's pretty good, you know. I think if only if if he's saying only two percent are lying according to him. And, and, you know, that that's not a science either. That's, that's more of a, a, a nuanced opinion, I'm guessing based on experience, but uh, that's pretty good. If that's the case, you know, that's 2% faking and, and 98%. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, you know, and he was a guy who came at it from the start saying like, yeah, all these people are just making shit up. And, um, uh, you know, again, became convinced uh, by listening to people that no, they're telling the truth. And, you know, I've told the story several times of talking to people uh, at live events. And uh, a guy came up to me one time and, you know, my wife was definitely a skeptic and he told his story and uh, he saw creatures right in the town we live in. I mean, right in the town we live in. So she had every reason to disbelieve this guy. 
And he was so convincing in his story that when he walked away, she looked at me and her eyes were, you know, as big around as, as could be and said, I don't know what he saw, but he saw something. I said, that's all, that's all I asked for. You know, I, you know, and, and, uh, and he saw little hairy creatures. He saw little, what we call albatwitches here. I, he didn't even know that there was a name for him. He didn't know what they were, but, uh, but again, this, you know, she, that was the first time I think she kind of really broke out of that skeptic shell and just, it shook her. And she's like, Whoa, he saw something. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and she saw flannel man. So, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I th- that, that was the other crack in, in the, uh, in the skeptic <laughs> armor. Do you guys want to real quick tell what flannel man is for those who don't know? It's a entity that, that many, many people see that uh, wears pla- usually red plaid or red checked <clears throat> shirt uh, and usually some kind of work pants or jeans, sometimes carrying a tool of some sort, uh, most often an axe. So he looks like a lumberjack, but not always an axe. Sometimes it's an <clears throat> undefined tool or some other kind of tool people see him with. Most of the times he doesn't have a tool. He's empty handed. And uh, he's seen in weird situations, usually as a, either a, a bedroom invader, as uh, Keel would have called him, and Keel did write about him in several places at Mothman Prophecies and, and other books. He did not by name; somebody else named him Flannel Man. Uh, and then uh, the my favorite reports are when people see him in other weird instances, like they'll they'll be going to uh, do a ghost hunt or something, and then they'll they'll have a weird encounter with with this you know some weird, strange man in flannel on the way or, or something, you know, and, and years later, they'll kind of put it all together. Like, Whoa, that there's a name for that guy. <laughs> and that's like, one of those, they're like, there's almost like a, a run of the mill weird where you run into something that it just doesn't process as strange like that, where a few layers mm-hmm. later, they're like, that was weird. <laughs> and yeah, what was yeah. it? And and that's the, the the tricky thing is like people can write it off. It's like oh, it's just a guy in a, in a flannel shirt. Nothing weird about that. But it happens in weird situations, and he he says something weird if he says anything at all, or just acts in some strange way. So uh, and certainly appearing in people's bedrooms when they wake up. Is yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's not cool. Yeah, totally not cool. One of my favorite parts of uh, volume two is when you talk about the dude in flannel with the the guy in a business suit mm-hmm. telling people that they didn't see Bigfoot. Um, yeah. I, I, I had gotten my book uh, because I got it on Kindle first. So I was already reading it before the, the physical book got here. And so mm-hmm. I hadn't gotten a chance to give it to Morgana or Kendra yet. And I'm reading the book and I come across these two people and I'm like, Oh my God, the tricksters are at it. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And I could, I wanted to call Morgana and tell her and I couldn't. So when she just bugged there, me to read it like, as fast got, as possible. You got to read the book as fast as possible. And <laughs> she got to it and I got a phone call and you can tell him what you okay. say. Because so, it was really funny. It's, it's in the, the disappearing evidence mm-hmm. chapter and it's the men in the, the Bigfoot version of the men in black yeah. sort of. Yeah. Uh, and I call mom because, and I'm laughing my head off because the tall, burly guy who's untidy in the checkered plaid shirt says, 
to call him bear. Mm-hmm. And so I start cackling and I call mom and I go, why are bear and wolf running around, turned into shape shifted into human form, telling people to leave their homie Bigfoot alone. <laughs> <laughs> and she thought that's the exact- where my brain went. That is where my brain went to. I was like, oh my God, it's the, the animal spirits are like, Going to telling people, hey, he, for a while. He's he's our he's our forest guardian. You leave him alone, crazy people. The, <laughs> the thing about the, that guy is so interesting to me because he's reportedly really big. Like I think the the one story has a guy who said he's like six four, and he had to look up at at this this guy in plaid. He go he insists people call him Bear, which is the animal that people mistake. Bigfoot for or mm-hmm. vice versa mm-hmm. most often. And uh, he's just showing up in all these weird situations and he's wearing plaid. That's there's a little that the, the subheading for that uh, little section plaid is the new black. That was a sort of an Easter egg for strange familiars listeners. Yep. I didn't really get into the flannel man thing there. I will get into all of it in the flannel man book, but uh, it was uh, just a little nod for, for listeners there, but uh, so strange, such a weird thing. And then the fact that it's the same two guys that are showing up all across the country. So, and this isn't strange to anybody. Like somehow these guys are able to get to these uh, Bigfoot witnesses within days and they, they, their beat is the entire country. It's bizarre. I mean, really, really strange. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, so I first heard about them on Sasquatch Chronicles and I talked to Wes, uh, you know, a good bit off the air and, uh, he does not like talking about those guys. Like when I tried to, I tried to get him to give me some, some quotes and stuff. Cause there's a lot of stuff that has happened to him as regards to the Bigfoot phenomenon, which he doesn't discuss on the show for various reasons. And, uh, I was trying to get him to give me some, some, you know, quotes and stuff. And, and I could tell he just was not having it. And he said, uh, look, I don't, I don't like dealing with that. He's like, I, I, I do Bigfoot encounters for a reason. He's like, when you get into this, like, deeper stuff and you go down these these rabbit holes and you talk about these guys that show up he's like uh stuff gets weird and and gets shady so he says i just stick to bigfoot encounters which is uh really interesting uh you know like i said i could tell he's he wasn't uh, super comfortable talking about it they really are the bigfoot community version of the men in black yeah Yeah. oh absolutely absolutely i i still uh, like to think they're wolf and bear Walking on <laughs> two legs, messing with I mean, people. Yes, and right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, who knows what the Men in Black are? But I'm pretty sure they're not with the government. So. No, exactly. That's yeah. That's these guys say they're from BLM, Bureau of Land Management, and like four or five other different government organizations. People have said when they've showed up, you know, there was this this organization with that organization. They don't show any records. They leave with evidence. It's just like Men in Black. Absolutely just like Men in Black. I bet if you looked up the license plate of their vehicle, it doesn't exist. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, they. it's interesting because, you know, the and Josh points this out, the UFO community seems to be fearful of, you know, the government, you know, the government. And uh, these guys, these sort of uh, secret agent men in black that show up to the UFO witness, you know, it's, 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 it might be the scariest thing for them. But you look at the, the Bigfoot witness tends to be a more rural type uh, person, 
with experiences in the woods and so forth. And what shows up to them, these big burly, you know, biker guy, well, the one big burly biker guy. And uh, you wonder, if, <clears throat> you wonder if it's not um, uh, tailored, you know, to the Bigfoot witness in a way. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely part of it. You know, the one of the other things that I really enjoyed about the book was when you talked about the disappearing evidence. Um, and, and it's sort of like you have hoaxes, disappearing evidence, and the trickster all in a row there. And it, that, that seems like it mm-hmm. could have been one big giant chapter or one book in and of itself, you know, because, could have been, yeah. because it's not just in the Bigfoot phenomena that that kind of stuff happens. Of course, it happens in mm-hmm. all strange phenomena. You, you have, uh, people losing their uh, UFO photographs or, you know, the, the traces that are left, they send them to a lab and, and never hear from it again. Or, um, you know, you have, you have people who will pull hoaxes. Like I just found out that there was a hoax in 19, I want to say 48, in Athens. I've got it. I haven't written it down yet, but there was an engineer and his nephew got together in a garage and built a uh, crashed UFO and, and then Mm -hmm. put it out in public where it would be seen. And then they, you know, of course they fessed up to it, which I love that stuff. That's great. Um, So I don't know. I just, I feel like that's sort of almost almost like what Keel said that whatever it is, it has a sense of humor and it likes to poke fun at us and it likes to mess with our heads, Mm -hmm. you know, because it doesn't, it doesn't just present itself, but it will present itself and then it will negate itself. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and the, you know, hoaxers eventually end up having real experiences and, a lot of these respected researchers end up getting involved with hoaxes and uh, it's very common, very common in, like you said, in all aspects. And that that's probably one of the biggest failings of the uh, disappearing evidence chapter. I should have pointed out how often it happens with this other phenomenon because it's, you know, we're trying to point out uh, the similarities often between the Bigfoot experience and these other phenomena. And I failed to do that. And the other thing I failed to do in that chapter was quote Patrick Harper more because he does it. He He's, explains it way more eloquently than, than I ever could. Yes. And uh, I should have quoted him more in that chapter, but in all I'm, I'm very happy. Uh, that's I, I like um, the women in white and the gifting chapters in book one and are uh, of my chapters. They're my two favorite. And then in book two, I like disappearing evidence and um, um, I'm drawing a blank. Um, oh, the stick signs chapters. Oh, I, like I love the stick signs. I like that a lot. And and uh, so, you know, but uh, everything you do, as soon as you're done, you go, oh, I wish I would have put this, this, and this in it. And then, you know, new information comes your way. It's, ah. So who knows? Maybe a revised edition someday. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> when you have time. Don't feel like it. Um, I Speaking of my half-formed thought, um, was about how I find it very interesting that the Bigfoot phenomena sort of trails the UFO phenomena by a couple decades. 
Mm, yeah. Like even though they were happening concurrently, the attention that they've drawn mm-hmm. has happened at different times. But I think some of the roots of the high strangeness with both of them are that they're intertwined. Yeah, more than than a lot of people in, who are interested in either would like to admit. But yeah, absolutely. Um, it is weird that the Bigfoot cases didn't get their own men in plaid for so long, though, because that's been part of UFO lore for uh, since the fifties. Well, late forties. Late forties. You have to remember that. There's a problem in Bigfoot reporting, and that that's is right. flesh and blood, folks. And anything that's weird gets gets removed from the story when they report it. So a lot of these stories, when I go back, my, my favorite is um, is maybe the Ape Canyon thing with all the weirdness that went on there, but also this fluorescent Freddy character, which has appeared yeah. in many of these flesh and blood guys books over the years, they will, they were this, this fluorescent Freddy. And the story I always read was he was called fluorescent Freddy. Then this is a creature people were seeing in Indiana, I believe in the fifties. And the reason why they, they were calling him fluorescent Freddy, according to these guys was because he had glowing orange or red eyes, depending on who reported it. But if you go back to the newspapers at the time and you look and see what people were really seeing, they were seeing a bright green creature. It was a bright, <laughs> and that's why they were calling him fluorescent Freddy because yeah. he was green, not because he had glowing eyes. Well, the green hair gets left out. They, they just do not report that at all. Hairy creature, yeah, we'll report that. Glowing eyes, well, there's so many reports of Bigfoot with glowing eyes. We'll throw that in there. And besides, it's all just eye shine, according to them. And uh, but the green hair, well, that's too weird. We'll just leave that out. We'll just leave that out. Pe- the witness must have been wrong when they saw green hair, you know. So we'll leave that out. It's it's. But- it's a real problem th- in the Bigfoot community. And I think you bring up a, a, a good point there where people leave stuff out because it's just a step too far. Like mm-hmm. they want to report what they saw, but they want people to, to believe what they saw. So if they say it was bright green with orange glowing eyes, people are like, Oh, <laughs> at the mushrooms, did you? Mm-hmm. As opposed to it was this big thing with glowing eyes. It's just like that's, there's a detail too far that where people just give up on you're, even pursuing the notion. You're a thousand percent correct. I almost did it myself. The first time I ever told like some of my weirder stories was on Where Did the Road Go? And I was telling a story about my chessboard and blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's this encounter that seems like a Bigfoot encounter. And it ended and I almost left this detail out. I really wasn't going to tell it. It ended with the sound of clicking gears, very tiny, like sound, not big, like massive gears underground or anything like that. But the, the sound of it sounded like small gears clicking, um, just click, click, click like that. And I almost didn't tell because it's like that just sounds too weird. Like that's I mean, the rest of it sounds like a Bigfoot sighting this bad smell, feeling of fear, uh, found possible footprints afterwards, you know, crows going crazy. All that stuff sounds like Bigfoot stacking rocks. But this sound of clicking gears, that's just too weird. And I almost didn't tell it, but I was just like, well, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to tell it because that's what would happen. And I told that part of it and that ended up for, for a lot of people, you know, connecting a lot of dots. And a lot of people have heard that in their own encounters and have told me since like, yeah, that's, that's what made it real to me when you said that. And it's a really important detail. So I get the impetus to sort of leave it out. Cause I was like, well, maybe, 
maybe that didn't have anything to do with the experience, you know, but then again, when it's a big green creature, I mean, that's a big thing to leave out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It looked like mm-hmm. a giant Oscar the Grouch. Yeah. Yeah. Except there was no Oscar back then, sadly. I love green Bigfoot stories, by the way. They're they're my favorite. If if anyone listening or if you guys ever come across any, send them my way. They're my favorites. Definitely, definitely. We'll do that. We'll definitely send you green Bigfoots. The the only uh people always ask me if I collect like, you know, Bigfoot figures or anything like that. The answer is no, except for green ones. I collect green green Bigfoot because I just love the idea of a green Bigfoot so much. It's just so bizarre. It's like the green man. I like that. It's very much like that. Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. It connects it to that whole tradition, but it's also real weird. And it's, it's super weird. It's yeah, like, I love how weird it is. I, I understand. I am reading about cattle mutilations and I found one that was a mutilated wallaby. And I was just like, Woo! wow. <laughs> right. Wow. <laughs> mutilated wallaby. That's amazing. See, I, I get really good texts and phone calls. I'll just say, mom, mom, <laughs> a mutilated wallaby. Okay. Where? <laughs> what? Did you find that? Oh, no. in a book. In a book. Okay. Okay. In the backyard. Oh, God, I hope not. Although yeah. since they just tripped time, over it. <laughs> since the last time you've been on, the, the odd things on my front step have added after Thanksgiving, I got brought a large scrap of somebody's turkey from somewhere. Wow. Okay. On my front step, a big strip of it. Um. What I'm assuming was turkey because it was cooked and it was white. Yeah, and I, uh, it was very kind. So I've had that and some interesting rocks. That's very interesting. Um, and I'm assuming it's the crows at this point, probably, but because I feed them and they bring me feathers and things, and we're we're bros at this point. But I'm I. It's starting. I don't like it when they whatever it is is bringing me food because i feel like i can't throw it out while anything might be looking because i don't want to offend anything yeah yeah exactly no i I always have to bring it inside and and it doesn't necessarily smell good no no not necessarily although it's been colder thanks i hate it yeah (laughs) you don't want to be rude has anybody ever had a, a Bigfoot show up in, in their house? Like a, a spectral Bigfoot or a, as Morgana, a, a bedroom visitation? Uh, yeah. Hypnagogic hallucination? Yeah, I mean, it, it's happened. Um, I, a few accounts I've read about. And then I, I had a guy on the show who found a 18 uh, inch footprint in the carpet, in the shag carpet. Oh, in his, in his basement. Great, I remember after, reading about that. After he felt like he was contacted by, because uh, there's Bigfoot, right. like psychically. I was about to say there's psychic Bigfoot. I forgot about psychic Bigfoot until just now. Yeah, again, way more common than people would like to talk about. And I mean, you know, that's really odd territory to get into because you, you know, at that point, if people are, it's like the the mind speak thing that people say mm-hmm. that Bigfoot spoke to them in their mind is, man, that's really difficult to get into. Cause you're talking about just an odd thing. You're literally something that's in somebody's head, you know, at that point. Uh, so it's, it's even harder to convince people, you know, of that, I think. 
But that for me, that's the one that fascinates me is the mind speak. I, I'm just, I think that's the coolest thing. Because at that point, is it speaking your language or is it just your mind is forming around the images that it's sending? Yeah, yeah I, I often wonder that because, I mean, some people definitely say they, they hear like words in a voice that's not their own. But, uh, you know, in, in, in my you know, quote unquote abduction experience. How I remember it is like a mental brush off. Like I didn't get any words. I I got like a like a completely like brushed off. Like your protests do not matter, and we do not care. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I wonder how many people are getting either images or notions like that. Like I got like like ideas versus you know actual speech. Um. Because I can't, I can't imagine how disturbing it would be to get actual speech. Like that seems very disturbing to me. Um, super cool. <laughs> yeah. but, but exactly. Also, later, it would be super cool. Later, yeah. in the moment, it's <laughs> it cool when it's cool. your head. It's not okay when it's mine. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. yeah. The the time that I saw the. You know, the detail that I hate to talk about, which is the little Tinkerbell lady. Um, I hate that. Mm-hmm. Because that's that's one of those self-negating things. Anybody who would admit to that in public, right. well, clearly there's something wrong with that woman. Um, right. It, it, the I didn't get the words, you don't know what you're talking about. I can be, mm-hmm. we can be whatever we want to be. We can look like whatever we want. It wasn't in words. It was a force of understanding. Right. Yeah. It was yeah. like this idea was implanted in my head. There wasn't a little mm-hmm. Tinkerbell voice. I think that would have freaked me out worse, mm-hmm. um, honestly. But it was the concept of you don't know what you think you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I, I would say very similar for me. Like whatever it was, was just. It just, it was more the idea of like, we don't care whatever you're protesting about, you know? Uh, so yeah, that, that seemed, that rings true for, for whatever I experienced. Yeah. You see so, now, now you've got me thinking about my, my, me and Brittany's get out ghost moment. <laughs> um, we broke into, this is going to be talked about on our Athens episode, probably in more depth, but we, we snuck into an abandoned part of the old um, asylum here in Athens. And we made it about, we made it through one of the, the big rooms and we were going down the hallway to go to the next floor. And both of us felt an immense pressure. And we both it was like hearing words, but not really hearing words. It was like, it was such an easily conveyed feeling mm-hmm. of get out, leave. And we both, we did not speak. We just both turned on our heels. I grabbed my boyfriend and we started walking out very briskly. And I, to this day, I don't know if my brain formed that from the very clear feeling or if I actually heard words in my head. Right. But we both had heard or felt the exact same See, thing. See, that's what I'm wondering about. Yeah. 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 I wonder how many, 
how much and again people have been some people have been very clear it's like no i heard a voice it wasn't my voice it was a very low gruff voice and it said this but other people i i wonder if they're not getting more like that they're getting the message and uh but not through a a, a clear you know statement say yeah yeah and mom, how does how does it make you feel when you hear your daughter broke into an abandoned? Oh, I knew she was doing it. <laughs> she was eight. Was a rite of passage that happens in the day. She was eighteen. She asked if I wanted to go. I said no. I've managed to. I was in Athens in my twenties. I managed to avoid that. I'm not going to do it when I'm, you know, in my forties. Uh, it's just we're not going to go there. Um, be careful, you know. Take this, take that, be ready to run in case the, the rent-a-cops catch you. Um, here's a quarter so you can call me if you need, you know, <laughs> bailed out, whatever. You know, so they they, they show back up, you know. And, don't and die. This. I got told to don't yeah, die. Yeah, don't die. <laughs> don't die. Dying is bad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've been the getaway car a couple of times for less than, you know, <laughs> charming what? things. When, when okay, that one was, I know which stuff, one you're thinking about. I know, you, and that was really, not my plan or my fault. <laughs> I know, but I got there fast now, didn't I? And I didn't run over any yes, students. You did. So I did it right. You, I was you good. were a great getaway driver. You're an excellent getaway driver, and Brittany and I pulled that off beautifully. That's because Brittany and I have very good nope time to go feelings. You have nope time to go, and you both grew up in an actual city, so you know how to act under such circumstances. We saw the flashing lights reflecting off the alley wall, and we were gone. Yep. (laughs) Mom, I'm reminded of of. I had a friend who she actually lived in Cambridge, Ohio, and uh, I was there visiting one time and her daughter, who was, I think, 16 at the time, called her and said, hey, mom, I'm doing acid for the first time. And <laughs> her mom was like, cool, honey, be careful. Yeah. That sounds kind of familiar. Uh, I, I mean, I can't confirm or deny how familiar, but there was, there was a period of time. I didn't call you when I first did acid. No, but I knew that's what you, t- yeah. yeah. There was, there was a yes. time when Rana oh, was seven where, where all of the, the uncles and aunts, all of my friends and I were sitting around talking and every story began with no shit. There we were. And then they would turn and look at Morgana and go, drugs are bad. Don't do drugs except for some of them and ask us first. <laughs> first and and that's that's how all those stories began no shit there that was we a were. good and then years. yeah it was that and and the th- welcome I, to paranormal did, parenting yes right? paranormal this is the new, new podcast we're doing yeah. paranormal parenting <laughs> that would this actually is the be problem a problem when podcast. one of your podcasters is one of your parents and the other one is your aunt and you're just <laughs> like going oh god guys no <laughs> this is episode well, one <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> 
I mean, honestly, considering some of the creepy things I said as a child, we probably could do an episode of creepy things your creepy kids say. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get a lot of those. Oh, my God. You got to tell the one about why she's here. Which one? Sid. Sid? She came up to me and she said, I'm glad I picked you. I'm like, me too. She goes, there was a little boy on his way. But I saw you and I shoved him out of the way because I wanted you to be my mom. <laughs> like, I'm glad you picked me too. That is so sad. She's, she's, she cracks me up. And then she had the dream where the cat told her why she was here. Oh my gosh. So yeah, yeah. Munin. She had this dream. I, we have a cat, black cat named Munin. Norwegian husband. Black cat named Munin. She had a dream where Munin was sitting on her shoulder. She was out, out on our front terrace. And Munin said, um, you're here because there needs to be more bloodshed. I'm like, see, that's a lot for a seven-year-old. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, yeah. <laughs> Kids are creepy in this family. And at some point I had told her what her middle name was. It's Julaine. And she said, that's my friend's name. She died when she was a baby. The creepy part is that's her aunt who only lived a couple days after ch after she was born. Mm. She was named after her my husband's sister who didn't live for more than a day. I was like, oh, okay. Tell her thank you. I <laughs> clearly you have a line of communication with the dead right now. <laughs> yeah. That's Sid. She's something. I was not this creepy as a child, was I? No, no, not not really. Okay. You know, the, there was the time I took you, I took you berry picking, and you said, uh, "Let's see, we were picking blackberries by the edge of the woods that I never let you go in by yourself because of the little lights," and you looked up at me and said, "Mommy, we're some kind of witches, aren't we?" And I just stopped and looked at you because I had been very, very careful not to say anything or do anything because your father was so bizarre about witchcraft and, you know, basically used that to get custody of you, that I was a witch and thus I was not a fit mother. Um, and I, I just looked at you and I went, Oh, why do you say that? And you said, because we're picking berries by the woods where the fairies live and the fairies are okay with it. And I went, okay, first off, let's not use that F word <laughs> right now where we're standing. And we put silver bells in the trees for them, don't we? That's why we put the bells there. And I was like, okay. Yeah, I just told you it was pretty. <laughs> so mm -hmm. you were a little bit creepy. Yeah, but that's not like... As bad as Sid. Sid's Sid's creepy. Yeah, Sid's special. He's otherworldly creepy. <laughs> and in all the awesome ways, too. Then, also, how to deal with when you're the paranormal parent and the other kids come to you for questions. Oh, that's always so hard. When their parents are not exactly. That's always hard. Because you don't want to turn the kids away and say, good luck, make some mistakes, hope you don't die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah 
Fortunately, I don't, I got that as other kids as a teenager. People were like, you know about witchy stuff, right? And I'd be yeah, like, yeah, see, yes. you have the paranormal parent. Why do you want to know? Because if the answer is let's hold a seance in the woods by the creepy abandoned graveyard, the answer is going to be no. But I'll totally watch you do it. How do I curse my ex-boyfriend's new girlfriend? Yeah. Hey. That's always well, a just go like punch her in the face, like <laughs> much more. No, I mean, I was really asking, how do I curse my ex boyfriend's new girlfriend? Go <laughs> we'll punch him in the face, <laughs> curse her with a broken nose. <laughs> it's much more efficient and realistic. Not that I think magic is nonsense, just. There, there are more practical ways you can handle your life in general. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually have a, a related question regarding ex, uh, Bigfoot experiences. Do you find that people will remember parts of an experience, but not the whole thing? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to, um, you know, it, it's hard because they remember what they remember, you know, it's hard right. to determine that. But my suspicion is, yeah. And, uh, the, the way I think it, it comes out most frequently is, and I find this really interesting is, um, uh, the witness I told you about way at the beginning that, that was, you know, had a creature basically in a suburb, mm -hmm. you know, and looking over a fence at her, she focused on its hands and she told me so much about its hands and how its fingernails looked and what color they were and where the hair started. And I find that a lot where people will like focus on one thing, the, the mouth or the nose or the eyes or whatever it is. And you wonder if, if they didn't focus on the whole creature and somehow that's their way of coping. That's their way of, of dealing with it. They're going, they focused on, you know, she focused on the hands. So yeah. You know, it wasn't a more intense experience. She just looked at the fingernails and the hands and, and so forth. So I do, I, I think so. And I, I think short answer, yes. I think that's how it manifests though. Most frequently you get these people who have really intense details about one facet of the creature and then they can't tell you much about, well, you know, anything else like, well, you know, what, what does his face look like or what it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I asked because as I was reading about the vocalizations, I have a very distinct memory. I was sleeping in a tent, could not tell you when or where, but I have a very distinct memory of a gruff male voice yelling, but not in English. Like it was just making a bunch of noise, but it was vocalizations. It wasn't just growling or screaming or yelling or howling. It was, it was f forming some language. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't necessarily put a finger on it, when that happened, um, I, I, I had my suspicion that it was, I was, uh, when I was in high school, I spent 14 days in the Boundary Waters um, doing a hiking trip with a bunch of other kids. So it, I kind of have suspicion that it was then, but it's, it's one of those where I look back and I'm like, I wish I could put a finger on that one. So... Yeah, I mean, again, you know, paranormal experiences across the board, you know, how many people can't remember certain aspects yeah. of things, you know, um, you know, that's, I'm very, you know, wish I could have heard what you heard, you know, I wish you had a recording of it, Yeah, me too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd say it's, it's pretty common. And is that a matter of shock? Is it so 
scary and weird that people can't remember it? Or is it part and parcel of, of these kind of experiences? Yeah. I, I found that a lot. And, you know, witnesses who were with, well, at our graduation party, Kendra, mm-hmm. there are people who were there like Ryan, who he really doesn't remember much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Thorne doesn't remember much of it. Interesting. Yeah. Because I, I was like, okay, I'm writing this stuff down. I've got my diary entries, but I, I, I'm writing down what I remember. I want to know what you remember. And they don't remember that much. That's weird. Cause they were fully involved in that. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, super common, you yeah. know, where, where people it's like, well, I tell the two experiences. One was with my brother where I saw a, uh, a mountain lion one day in a field near my, my parents' farm. It was 10 a.m., bright daylight, and it was walking through the field. And I got home, and I, I remember telling my father and my brother about it. And the next day, at the same exact time, in the same field, walking in the same way in the same area, we're driving by. This time my brother was driving, and here's this mountain lion again. And uh, I said to him, that this is the only thing. I mean, they say there's not mountain lions in Maryland, but you know, maybe oh, this was a natural creature. But the only thing that makes me think it wasn't natural is it had this weird element to it where we're driving by and I'm pointing it out to my brother. And I'm saying, look, 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 look at that. Look at that. And I'm trying to get him to slow down. And he says, like he was in a trance. He just goes, yeah. And he keeps <laughs> driving. I'm like, it's a mountain lion. Look at that. That's not like, look at that thing. Yep. And he just kept driving. Huh. Another night, I a guy with a very similar demeanor um, to my brother. Um, I'm trying to be as nice as I can here, but uh, not the most cerebral people. Um, similar fellow. I had done a drywall job with him. And we were coming back and it was like four in the morning and this whole field was lit up by something. You couldn't see what it was uh, off to the, to the side of, of the road we were driving on. And it was so much like that same thing. Cause I said, I said to him, I said, look at that. Look over there. Look at that. What is that? And I wanted to go check it out, even though it was, you know, we'd worked all night. It was four in the morning, but I was like desperate to see what was going on over there. And he, he either just glanced and looked back to the road or he didn't look at all. And he just went, yep. And I said, no, look, look at that. That is huh. weird. What is lighting that up? What's doing that? And why is that whole field lit up at, you know, four in the morning? Yep. And just kept driving. And it just, they were so much the same, those two experiences. And I think that some people, you know, it's not for them. I, and I, whatever those things were, they weren't for them. You know, uh, they weren't for my brother. They weren't for that guy. Uh, but really, we are very frustrating, too, because yeah. you want somebody else to confirm it. But uh, yeah. they were having they were having none of it. And you wonder, you know, if, if people even retroactively don't get that way. You know, maybe at the time they are involved and they are conscious of it. But retroactively, they're just like, nah, I'm out. I don't want yeah. that. I don't want that memory. Yeah. The first time I saw a UFO uh, it was a daylight sighting and I was on a walk with my mother and we were walking in the river Valley of Charleston, 
West Virginia. So there's like houses and then behind the houses are hills, very high hills. And, you know, we're walking, there's not much sky to see. And she stops and she points up in a tree and she says, look at that bird. And I look up and I don't see a bird. But what I do see off a little bit to the left, past the leaves on the tree, is a silver upside down bowl. <laughs> Just doing a stair step float down the blue sky until it disappeared behind houses. And the whole time I have a camera on me and I'm just in shock and I can't say any, I was like, I don't see a bird, but look at that. And she's like, what kind of bird is it? What it's red, but it's not a Cardinal. And she kept going on about this bird. And I didn't want to take my eyes off of what I was looking at, but at the same time, I just, sort of kind of sort of you know moved my head really fast and there was no bird where she was pointing mm -hmm. none and she kept talking about it and then by the time it was the ufo was out of sight and i could speak more coherently because my brain just sort of stopped and went do you see that yeah i see that okay yeah she doesn't see it and I looked at my mom and she was like, the bird's gone. I said, did it fly away? And she said, no. And I said, well, now birds fly away, mom. And she said, it's just gone. It's just gone. By the time we got back to the house and I told my dad what happened, she was convinced that she had seen the bird fly. Mm -hmm. She was convinced as I was telling her on the way home that what I had seen was an upside down silver bowl floating through the sky. She was convinced that I never said anything. She was certain mm. that I had not explained. She's like, why didn't you tell me? I'm like, mom, I just told you the whole way home. You were asking me questions. You were asking why I didn't take a picture. And she's like, you didn't tell me. And my dad just kind of looked at her and looked at me and went back behind his newspaper because it's safer back there. You know, right. he, he always had <laughs> yeah. the, the newspaper force field that kept all of the dysfunction right. away from him. So he just, he just went back behind the newspaper and uh, you know, cause he didn't want to deal with the fact that his daughter saw a UFO maybe, and his wife saw a disappearing bird maybe, but then D didn't see it fly, but then did. And he's like, no, no, I'm not going to arbitrate this. I'm not, I'm out. I firmly believe people can see different things. It's nice when you see the same thing. Cause it's always nice to have that, you know, turn to like, for me, it's usually Chad or, or uh, John turn to them and say, uh, you see that? And, you know, it's nice when they go, yeah, yeah, I see that. And it's the same thing or something close enough that you can agree on. It is nice. But there's definitely times where, like the, that last time we were at site seven and they saw ping pong balls, glowing ping pong balls. And I saw a little, just a little pin of light, like a little tiny led. <clears throat> the only thing I can explain that is I was at a different angle. I was about eight feet off to the side of them and they, they were looking at it dead on. It was right in front of them. So maybe does the change of angle change the, what it looks like that much? I don't know, but you know, I really think uh, we saw 
you know, we could agree there were lights, but we didn't agree what they looked like. And uh, that for me told me like, yeah, I think sometimes we're seeing different things, completely different things. It's up to the individual, how they're interpreting it. Maybe it's, you know, who knows what goes into all that. But I do think that happens. Our brains are radio receivers and we all get a different signal translation Mm -hmm. or something. Yeah, whatever it is, it's pulling from whatever we have in there. Yeah, when Kendra saw the the little blobby guy that came down the the hill ladder, you were lucky and and he saw it too. Yeah, both times I was uh, the Mothman and the blob. Both, I had somebody with me and I was like, do you see this? And in both the instances they did. And it was the same thing. And that, that changes everything because then it's like, okay, <laughs> yeah, this is I, unreal, I but now I'm grounded in reality because you see it too. <laughs> I greatly prefer that. <laughs> yeah. It, you feel a lot more stable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think everybody, I think everybody needs a Chad in their life. <laughs> I, I have a Brittany. <laughs> Yeah, fortunately. I have a Kendra. Yes. And I also think it's interesting that experiencers tend to be, uh, you know, they they pair up with, if not skeptics, at least not completely wide-eyed people like other experiencers. Yeah. Because, you know, Zach has seen a few things. He heard the growling and howling and screaming in the woods and he really didn't like that um that was that was he still gets kind of shook up when he talks about that um but you know he saw a few things but most of the time he doesn't see things yeah and my husband's not he's not a firm believer but the whole the weird electrical stuff going on the house he is actually referenced as that's that's weird stuff the TV turning itself on and off, smoke alarms, stuff like that, that it's just bizarre. My boyfriend is a confirmed, we've been together and things have happened and he's just like, I don't recall that. And then like, doesn't talk about it, but he has started to blame like weird electrical things that happen around the house on me or the ghost. Mm-hmm. We don't have a ghost. Okay. We have something in the house lately, but it's, I doubt yeah. it's a ghost. Uh, so he'll, we can't watch scary movies without the fire alarms going off. Hmm. Like, I think we've managed, we managed to watch Get Out without it happening. But previous to that, almost every single time we would watch a scary movie, the fire alarms would go off. Um, and so he, he'll sigh and be like, okay, go tell the ghosts to stop it. Help me, help me shoo, help me shoo the ghost. It's like they just resign themselves. Like, I don't believe in this that much, which is good. Cause I, I need somebody around to be like, honey. Yeah. Breathe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's always good. I think I think Allison's quote is, "If it wasn't for me, you'd have ferried, followed the fairies off into the forest long ago." And, and yeah, well, and it's you need somebody's with my goo theory. You need somebody else whose goo doesn't go in the same weird places yours does, because then you just end up in weird places. Just goo everywhere. <laughs> Very messy situation. <laughs> Too much goo. The goo theory. Too much goo. 
<laughs> I love the goo theory, though. Relationship ectoplasm. Yes, yeah, I like that. <laughs> well, thank you for, for joining us. I want everybody to go out and pick up a copy of Where the Footprints End, Volume 2. And if you don't have volume one, you should get that too, because it's never good to start a book in the middle. And, and they really are just one book put into two different pieces. Yeah. The nice thing is I think you could, you could probably read volume two first and then read volume one if you preferred. Um, I would prefer people to read them in order, but you can, you know, read them how you want, hop around different chapters, read all my chapters, ignore Josh's. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, thank love you, you Josh. For- I'm, I'm kidding. I love you, Josh. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely keep that part in just in case. Yeah. <laughs> I'm imagining a phantom tuba blast. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again. Oh, thanks for having me. Strangefamiliars.com. If you want any, any contact with me, all that information goes to me. Until next time, keep your eyes on the skies. Salt across your doorstep. And whatever you do, don't talk to the dogmen. Yeah, they'll bite your head off. Ma, can you make me some silver bullets? Later. Later.